0: You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers & Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Welcome to another episode in our series of podcasts focused on the vital role the public sector is playing post-pandemic recovery and uh, inclusive growth. My name is Chris Plumley and I'm a partner here at Trowers & Hamlins in the public sector team. My guest today is Mark Davis, who is the Partnerships and Communications Director with Public Sector PLC. Good to see you again, Mark.
1: Good to be here, Chris. Thanks for inviting me along.
0: So, our listeners, uh, or for our listeners who might not be familiar with PSP, can you tell us a bit about uh, the business and what it does and how it w- how it works? The public Sector
1: PLC. We are strategic asset managers to the public sector. But what that effectively means is we create partnerships with councils and other public sector bodies to help engineer get the best out of land and property assets that the council owned. Typical scenario would be surplus property assets where there's potentially a, a, a market failure or a private sector necessarily can't deliver what's needed. We're able to step in, work with our council partners to help get the best and add some value to that property asset to deliver on a number of aspirations and objectives, which could vary from placemaking, regeneration, through to how affordable housing delivery. But ultimately, our main objective and goal with all of our assets is to deliver social economic benefits to the local community and make sure we measure ourselves on the deliverables of each of these projects.
0: I think that's that's why we're very, you know, we, we enjoy working with you um, because it, it sort of ties into the whole ethos of, of what we at Trous and hamlins tried to do in terms of supporting public sector engagement. Um, and what a time it's been of the last... <laughs> <laughs> this last 12 months. I mean, Chris, we, 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 we've got
1: partnerships um, as far north as Gateshead, all the way down south to the Isle of Wight. So we have really seen, uh, you know, the thick of it in terms of the stress and the strain that's been with uh, within council and local authority worlds um, as the impact of COVID has played out. You know, we've started to now see different conversations with our council partners and their property requirements. I think if we wind back 18 months ago. Yeah, you know, the, the, the deliverables was all very much focused around the housing crisis. Now we're presented with not just housing crisis, but the climate agenda crisis, jobs and skills shortage crisis. So the whole mix of 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 levers that are now pushing councils to look at how to get better, more value, and different debt deliverables from their property and land access.
0: And and you know the the, the obvious. One, I suppose, is is in that sense of place. As you say, we've moved away a little bit from housing, although that's kind of an ongoing topic. But um, high streets and retail and the whole sense of What's a town centre for, or even mm. a city centre? What's it for? Has that been the sort of main theme of the conversations?
1: Yeah, rationalisation um, and the future of, of local high streets has been a key thing across not just our current partnerships, but other council conversations that we're having across the network. But you know, it's 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 early it's early days, and and I think it's interesting some of the conversations, Chris. Um, but one thing is one thing I can say is that creativity is at the heart of these decisions. So, whether this is creating new multi generational environments for different types of living accommodation, um, you can see that healthcare retirement um, is being part of the, part of that dynamic conversation now. But we're also trying to understand actually what's what does it mean now moving forward in terms of the high street and the town centre versus traditional perceptions. Are we now seeing a renaissance of the town centre? Does this mean that we can be able to revitalise the much-needed high street to become multifunctional and offer a wide range of services to the community, not necessarily before?
0: I think I, that's a really um, good observation because we've seen this quite a lot um, talking to different councils over the last um, two or three years. Mm-hmm. And the conversation about what's a town centre for or what's any place for yeah. is a much better conversation than what's it worth. and i I think for local government we were seeing you know there was such budgetary pressures that property was just being sort of put on the market sold off not necessarily getting the best return as a result Mm -hmm. but councils have said you know we're not doing that anymore we need to look at Mm -hmm. what's our proper place shaping agenda Mm -hmm. and the pandemic has sort of really brought that to the fore hasn't it um (sighs) It, 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 you can definitely feel there's a, there's, a, there's a sea change
1: i also feel as if that uh, we're seeing a lot more um drive and push for independent local startups be part of the conversation you know, we've, we obviously have the big multinationals that are uh, uh, that are regular faces on the traditional high street um, and town center but with with covid we we've, we've, we've seen different ways of working and the impact on society and the work-life balance providing opportunities for new businesses to emerge from, from COVID to actually offer services that are more locally focused, more independent. Now, thinking big, but still having that, retain that small aspect of the business, I think it's going to be really really key to see how town centers can emerge from COVID.
0: So do you think that, I mean, you, you mentioned the word repurposing. Um, you, you know, the idea of kind of, as you said, local independent, New trade—that's that's that's a fantastic place for um, small businesses and SMEs and and the like to to sort of grow. But do you think that is going to be the—is it—is it going to be about repurposing, or do you think we'll sort of drift back to what we had before with traditional offices, traditional town centres?
1: I—I don't think—I think society's changed, and I think there's been a bit of a a a step change in how people perceive their work-life balance, and I think. Pre, pre, Pre-COVID pre days, it was all very much about people leaving their home for morning and going to their place of work and staying there for the duration until they until the commute home. We're now seeing people have got a desire to have more of a blend in terms of how they live their life. And I think that's, that plays into the localism agenda very nicely because that does offer the opportunity for new businesses to emerge and new ways of operating for office space to come out of COVID. So, Some council conversations that I'm having at the moment, we're looking at co-working spaces, different types of office environments that have more flexible environments for people to base themselves part time or on on an ad hoc basis.
0: And that that idea of land and property being fit for purpose, I think is a fascinating one because you know the buildings, the buildings get created for us to use, as it were. and we shouldn't be sort of dictated by what's been there in the past. And c- councils having that place-shaping urban renaissance—you know—all of those kind of great phrases—we've heard that um, many times over the years. Mm-hmm. But there's not been that catalyst to mm-hmm. really make it happen. It, 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 a lot of master plans look very similar, and I think you're right that there's been this—you know—the the pandemic has. Has made us all think differently, has made us all work differently, has made us perhaps reevaluate how we want to deliver our, our businesses and how we want to run our lives. So it makes sense that the built environment has to follow suit. Uh,
1: absolutely. It, you know, it feels like um, the home environment is also now being reevaluated in terms of what people get out of their spaces. You know, we were all in um, these quite strict, severe lockdowns for for a long period of time. I think it made people think and reconsider you know, the apartment living has been you know, part, of our, our, part of our DNA for so long. is you know, people now wanting to have more flexible living environments which then correspond to their flexible working environments so I think it's, it's, trying, to, it's trying to now work out actually what are those trends and how can um, business and private sector respond to that to create environments that are going to help provide an environment that's going to better serve society and our communities. And I do think it starts at the local level, and I think local government is in an absolute brilliant position to be part of the change. Yes, there's going to be some challenges. We're constantly under pressure as as the public sector, as we know, is under pressure to deliver. But I think there's an opportunity for us to start using more creative thinking, which is where the public sector PLC partnership model really comes into its own we're able to have step-back conversations to think strategically of what what can be done differently to help better response to community to help retain retain the population retain the community environment and also deliver a more considered community aspiration
0: and i think that again the, i'm trying to pick up on key words and and you talked about partnership there and one of the um Key aspect, I suppose, is being able to be on the front foot with councils and have that sort of genuine conversation as opposed to, um, you know, being sort of stifled by some of the previous procurement rules or that kind of thing. So being able to go in and have a, a proper, engaged, creative conversation is a, is a you know, a boon. Um, I'm also wondering about, you know, you talked about different agendas, like, you know, we talked about the housing agenda, the revitalization of the high street, but obviously the climate um, agenda is still very high on people's um, uh, to do list. Uh, Are you finding that that's being part of your conversations?
1: I think uh, it kind of echoes what I said earlier about we talk about the housing crisis. Um, and the, you know, the, the job skills crisis, but the climate crisis is still very much apparent and, uh, and you know, at the forefront of, of local authorities' mindset. You know, it, what's the, what, you know, what's the biggest challenge for councils at the moment? I think it's not what is. I think it's, you know, what number of challenges that the councils are facing at the moment. And I think the climate agenda is at the very top of, of, of a lot of these conversations, Chris, and you know, a number of our partners have um, already called their own climate emergency agenda. So what that what that means is that if it, it feels that there's a real momentum to now start to address the uh, you know the carbon footprints and the, and how, how how local authority can respond to that agenda, and through our conversations, you know we're able to now start to embrace ideas of. You know, renewable technology and how that fits into the, to the property equation, the different types of housing conversations that we're having, particularly around off-site construction and zero carbon in operation houses, is a quite exciting place for us to be at the moment because you, can, you, you definitely feel that confidence is growing. And I think that's one place that you where know, we're, we're, we're excited about, but especially as we're about to deliver on our first housing scheme, which will offer zero carbon
0: environments for occupiers. Oh, that's fantastic! That's fantastic. I think the the, it comes back to to the whole sort of link to what COVID has made us do, which is think and take some of this stuff perhaps more seriously. You think some of the because I get the impression that with some schemes, the um, the sort of climate agenda that's up behind it hasn't been as you know, at the forefront of the decision making and mm-hmm. certainly in some evaluation criteria and that kind of thing, it's not it's not being as high up there. But I, I'm say are you seeing that changing? I
1: think with um, government policy and particularly with COP twenty-six happening later this year, I feel the awareness is just growing year on year. So even if we go back to where we were last year, I feel as if there's been a real acute understanding, actually this is a challenge for the this is a challenge for the country to deliver on the government agendas what can the council's role be to help contribute to this in a meaningful way? And I think that's what's, that's what's really become apparent very very recently from the conversations that we're having. So there are new solutions and understanding of actually it's, it is, it's more achievable than perhaps was once perceived to be an uphill battle. So I think we're seeing more interest in how to unlock that agenda and we're also now seeing a, you know, a real thirst for... Understanding what can be brought forward in a fairly controlled and a very swift manner to help achieve some of the objectives when it when it comes to the climate emergency. So, like I said, MMC homes um, is a great, absolutely fascinating technology. It's there. It's available for everyone. It's a good, within reach and, and touch and distance. So that's you know we, we are seeing that become more um, you know, discussed, and it's you know the perception is definitely. Um, greater awareness so we're able to now have conversations at a a more detailed level about how MMC can not only support and complement the existing housing delivery of of local authority but what else can be added to that and then then we start to have discussions around carbon neutral technology which can have massive characteristic benefits ranging from lower energy bills to lower maintenance charges.
0: Some of our listeners might not be familiar with MMC, so can you explain a little bit more about what that is? Follows uh,
1: yeah, MMC, um, referred to as modern methods of construction, uh, although I think some would argue that is it modern, is it actually the way it should be in terms of construction? It's just another <laughs> it's an, an, another way of building homes. Uh, and it, it's a, be- a fairly large phrase, and it en- encompasses everything from um, panelized systems, volumetric in framed uh, and compared to the traditional bricks and mortar web of building homes it's, it's it's classed as mmc modern method instruction
0: and all of those kind of modular um, patterns and um, the off-site construction bringing on um, you know we've seen i think people started to see there was a little bit further south and um, and there was an argument at one point that trying to do those the further north you went the further you went from the manufacturing plants and that kind of thing the harder it was and oh it was only possible for large-scale schemes and that kind of thing but that's that's changing isn't it
1: absolutely and i think with that that if you, you know, wind back 12 months uh, 24 months even you, you would see the number of manufacturers in the marketplace was a smaller number to where we are now so you can there's the, you know, there's an increase in um different types of manufacturer providers that can be um part of the conversation but i also, I also think the kind of the the, the policy And the conversations from central government is helping to unlock those conversations to help people feel more confident in the product and and, and the benefits it can deliver.
0: And are central government helping with that? Because um, there's various funding options available at the moment. Are, Are you finding that that's the right funding at the right place?
1: Well, as with anything, really there is greater emphasis on and that's being placed on delivering affordable housing through off site allocations. There are a number of frameworks and funding that's been um, made available from the central government. I think um, one of the, the key drivers to, to, be, to people understanding what's available is, again, having, having rich conversations and maybe being aware of what's available at the right time, and whether that's a regional or a central funding opportunity. I think the main the main conversation we're trying to consider is actually what's the overall housing strategy, and how can MMC complement that or be part of that conversation to try and approach it from a a, a, a more of a volume approach as opposed to being very much on a site by site specific basis.
0: And, And I guess it also means that we can, you know, councils can aspire to higher quality housing and more innovative housing than perhaps they have in the past.
1: I think I think so. But, you know, by definition, um, offsite constructed homes allows precision engineered quality homes to be delivered consistently and at volume and at scale. And I, I think that it, it lowers it lowers the it lowers the snagging risk. It also, it, it increases the quality, the, the consistency of quality as well. And I think that's what we find fascinating with offsite, Chris, is that it just allows that continual repetition of quality homes to be delivered in a controlled environment. Now, these homes are, are constructed in a factory environment, like cars. They're very much it's a production line, so it's very much precision engineered. So you, you, you can rely on that quality to be delivered time and time again. Whereas, we, as we know, with traditional build, it's delivered in, you know, in, 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 to the outside in the elements. So it can sometimes be um, some difficulties in terms of weather conditions can hamper progress, but off-site, it's all within that beautiful controlled environment space which can be monitored and audited on a regular basis. So by definition, these are better quality precision homes.
0: And that's fantastic. It's another um, really positive contribution that the public sector and private sector colleagues and partners are, are making So, to, to our built environment. Um, conscious Time. I'm going to ask you one final big question, which is what do you think the biggest challenge facing local government is in this new year? And I think we can probably guess that. But to end on a positive note, what do you think the biggest opportunity is too? Um, yeah, well, I think we know the, the, the challenge, like I said, it's
1: not just which one, which one challenge, I think it's which the challenge is. But I <laughs> think, look, let's, the, 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 opportunity, the opportunity is to be able to think differently. And I think that's, but it's a real, um, you know, it's a real step change as a result of COVID. What, what that means, Chris, for for I think for, for local authorities, given a bit of chance to step back and say, actually, what is our overall strategic approach now, and our vision for our borough or our locality, and how how can property be part of that solution to bring things forward and do things differently?
0: Mark, that's been a, a really lovely conversation. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us today. Um, we've talked many times over the years about local authorities and and how to collaborate, how to partner, how to get the best out of those kind of um, joint venture type arrangements. And the work that uh, PSP have been doing has been right up there with the the very best of them. So thanks ever so much for your time today. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again in the future.
1: Chris, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the conversation.
0: You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.